Open your copy of God's Word to Isaiah chapter 1, and we'll read verses 10 through 20 together, and see the continued indictment of God against his people that leads them to the gospel. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of our Lord. We continue our series, as you can see, through the book of Isaiah. Our topic today is when God doesn't want to come to church. Let's pray. Our great God, we give you great thanks for the gospel and for the law. And we ask again that the law would have its condemning power. It would convict and cut and wound where it needs to do so. And we pray that the gospel might come in on eagle's wings and set us free from our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the cross and the resurrection. Thank you for setting the captives free and giving us life in your blood. Thank you for granting us a church, a people, with whom we might give you great praise and with whom we might live this Christian life with, to journey all the way to glory one day when we see you face to face. Until then, Lord, we are pilgrims, so feed us now with your word as you have already today. For your glory and our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, how are we supposed to worship God? Are there acceptable ways or unacceptable ways to worship? The Reformation of the 16th century was, among many things, a reformation of worship. 
The reformers and their successors came to the conviction that when we draw near to God, we have to be directed by the same Holy Scriptures that tell us how we can find a relationship with God. In other words, the Scriptures tell us who to worship and how to worship. So they got rid of all the extras. They threw out the altars and the relics the statues and the pilgrimages. They began to focus on simple worship. The communion table was no longer called the altar and was moved forward much closer to the people, somewhat like this perhaps. Uh, Martin Busser, who was a first-generation reformer in Strasbourg, wrote new prayers to replace the old Roman rites and stressed congregational participation. For Calvin in Geneva, the Lord's Day service opened with a call to worship from Psalm 124, 8. Every single Lord's Day, that's how they began their worship. Followed by a confession of sin, biblical words of pardon, the singing of the Ten Commandments, a prayer of illumination, a sermon from the Bible in the common language of the people, a metrical psalm, and a benediction. A little bit like we have here, right? Or kind of like Geneva. The reformers and their successors highlighted simplicity, adaptability, and diversity. In other words, what John Knox did in Scotland was not what Thomas Cranmer did in England, and so on and so forth. But it was, uh, by and large, had a word-centered liturgy. For the reformers, a recovery of the gospel meant a recovery in worship. This meant a word-centered liturgy in which biblical texts were preached upon, biblical exhortations and commands were made clear, and biblical promises made to the people of God were to be read for their comfort and assurance. As one writer puts it, quote, the recovery of the gospel in the Reformation was ultimately a worship war, a war against the idols, a war for the pure worship of God, end quote. Well, today we have our own worship wars, don't we? Some churches are fighting for traditional forms of worship, and others are fighting for more contemporary forms of worship. And you know what? I don't think God cares. Because I don't think those are the categories God thinks in. God's categories are not traditional versus contemporary but more profoundly acceptable versus unacceptable. Acceptable worship is dictated by the word of God. And the word of God teaches that we must pray the word, sing the word, read the word, hear the word, preach the word, and eat the word. But friends, that's the easy part, I think, in my opinion. Liturgy, the form, the, 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 the matter, the stuff we do, in worship. That's the easy part. Acceptable worship must also have the right manner. Faith and love for Christ must accompany sound liturgy. And that's precisely what God's people in Isaiah's day forgot. They lost their way They believed 
perhaps some of us today believe, that if we just keep up with the liturgy, if we just do the right stuff, after all, we're reformed. If we just do the right stuff in our services, God will be pleased. And he wasn't. God didn't want to go to church with his people here in Isaiah. And to a people like us, here at Calvary Redeeming Grace, who believe that how we worship matters, well, Isaiah has a few words for us today. We, like Israel, have the form. Do we not? I come up here every Lord's Day, and my heart is full because we have the right stuff. We read catechism and sing hymns and we're filled with confessions. So like Israel, we have the matter, but do we have the manner? Do we have the heart? So Isaiah has a, um, a punctuating word for us today. I don't have an outline for you today. All right? It has no points. I hope it's not pointless. We're just going to walk through the text and see what God has for us. Verses 10 and 11. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. So in verse 10 right here is similar to verse 2 we heard last week, and you have a summons. You have a summons. God summons this time, not creation, but he summons his own people. And he calls his people of all things, or of all people, Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not addressing the nations now. He's still talking to his people. And he calls his people Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. If you know your Bibles, these are two cities that God destroyed in Genesis 19, completely obliterated them. But more importantly, Sodom and Gomorrah become symbols in Scripture of sin paraded, sin flaunted, sin enjoyed. They're viewed in the Bible, these cities are, as the pinnacle of man's depravity. And that's what God's people have become. Notice what the text says. His people are not simply like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what they are. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Verse 11, after the summons, you have three assertions. The first assertion, these sacrifices mean nothing to the Lord. Notice what he says again. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? 
They mean nothing to him. Micah 6, 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? These sacrifices don't add to him. They mean nothing to him. And this is what you get all throughout the Old Testament in the Psalms and the Prophets. There is an unceasing contest between the prophet, God's covenant lawyer, and he's trying to unmask the hypocrisy and the pretense of God's people time and time again. And Isaiah is doing it right here. These sacrifices mean nothing to the Lord. Second, they add nothing to the Lord. He says, I have enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. They mean nothing to the Lord and they add nothing. God does not gain anything from them. You don't add to the infinite one. Third, they do nothing to the Lord. They mean nothing to him. They add nothing to him and they do nothing to the Lord. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. So with all of it, all of their liturgy, all of their worship, all of their offerings, with all of it, God was not pleased. Which is a bit odd. Because isn't that what God required his people to bring? In in the Levitical law, why, why is all of this of irrelevance now? The blood of bulls, of lambs, of goats, beasts, the multitude of sacrifices, all of that was correct liturgy. (laughs) They had the right stuff, so how can the Lord reject their worship? Does he reject ours? Well, verses 12 and 15 supply the answer. When you come to appear before me, Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense as an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them, he says. When you spread out your hands... A posture of prayer. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. In effect, God is saying to his people, I hate your worship. Not because you do the wrong stuff. But because you do the right stuff wrongly. He says, when you appear before me in verse 12, it's a trampling of my courts. It's just a pounding of the pavement. It's it's bare formalism. All it is, is it's just mere physical attendance. That's what this is, he says. There's no honor for me. There's no love for me. There's no faith in me. There's no trust in me. There's no affection for me. You're doing the right stuff, but it's simply a pounding of the pavement, he says. When you bring offerings, he says, 
verse 13. It's, it's meaningless. Bring no more vain offerings. When you come to church, he says, it's devoid of any ethical resolve in your life. You don't want to change. You're just here. There's no dedication, no desire to be something different, to call upon Christ, to receive that confession, to receive that assurance as something meaningful. You're just doing it. And you think, I'm pleased, God says, because you're here. He's not, he's not impressed, he says. He's not impressed. When you pray, he says, verse 15, when you, when you spread out your hands, I'm not going to listen. Why? Your hands are full of blood, he says. <laughs> your life. You think you can live however you want, God is saying. And come and pray. And all is well. And Isaiah says, that, that's not worship. That's not worship. Since, since when did you think you could have right liturgy, but your life be empty of any love and faith, and all will be well? Who taught you that, God says? Where did you get that? Worship, beloved, worship is not a matter of fine-tuning outward performances. You could pray every day from the Book of Common Prayer and God wouldn't care if it's empty of faith and love. Take the valley of vision. Whatever you want. You could take the scriptures. And if it's not infused with faith and a desperation for Christ and for God, he does not consider it worship. If the form of your worship is not accompanied with the right manner of your heart, it's useless, Isaiah says. Worship is not a matter of fine-tuning outward performances. It's a matter of repentance. Verses 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, he says. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. <laughs> Isn't it striking how simple these imperatives are compared to the elaborate descriptions of worship we read in verses 11 to 15? Oh, they had it all done, right? They had it all put together. And here comes these simple imperatives 
God is saying, clean up your life. Don't simply show me your fine-tuned liturgy. Live a life that honors your beautiful liturgy. Live a life that honors it. Cease to do evil, he says. Learn to do good. Care for the people no one cares about. Care for them. Acceptable worship is about doing the right things rightly. With a heart of faith. Acceptable worship. Get out of your minds traditional versus contemporary. That's surface level stuff. That's so superficial. That, that's, not the, that's not the categories. Acceptable worship is a word-centered liturgy. Yes, it matters. Thank you, Robert. Acceptable worship is a word-centered liturgy shaped from a repentant, tender heart. God does not care if you walk through those doors saying, here I am. But your heart is empty of any love and trust in him. It's all about repentance, you see. You can have the right matter, the right form, but Isaiah says, all oh, your heart matters as well. To come with repentance. We reform people don't like this a whole lot. It's easy to clean up the outside. And so we talk about churches who don't worship like us as if they're shallow and immature. And I urge you to not do that. I believe in our liturgy. I love our liturgy. I believe it is what the scriptures call for. But if you visit a church and they don't worship like us, but they pray the word, they read the word, they preach the word, they eat the word, love them. Do not talk bad about them. There's only one way, you know. There's only one way you and I get a tender, repentant heart. You know that? Do you know that? What's that way? Do you know? It's the way of grace. Look at verse 18. So here God is. He's rubbing our noses and our hypocrisy, our pretense. Here he is in verse 18. He stops the rubbing of our noses and our hypocrisy, and he says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Don't you love that? Grace. It shows us, it fuels us how to worship. You want your worship to be acceptable? Then bring, Isaiah says, your sin-stained life to Christ. All of it. And I'll wash you in the blood of Jesus and your worship will come alive. That's what this is all about. You're not what you want to be in worship. You walk through those doors with an empty heart and you feel like you're a fraud. Come on in. Join the rest of us. But come with a repentant, tender heart. Come for grace. The heart that knows grace is the heart that knows how to worship both in form and manner. That's it. You can have a deep sense of your sin from the law. Look at it. Look at verses 11 through 15. You can have a deep sense of sin from the law. But a true sense of sin must arise from both the law and the gospel. Verse 18, a knowledge of sin produced only by the law results in slavish fear and worldly sorrow. That's what the law can do, condemn you, and it must condemn you. But beloved, it is faith and faith alone in redeeming mercy alone as revealed and offered in the gospel that paints sin in such hateful colors. And that's why verse 18 is where it is in the text. You've been laid low by the law. In our worship, in our liturgy, which is filled with hypocrisy and pretense, Isaiah says, what you need is not more law. What you need, Isaiah says, is the grace of Christ. What stimulates repentance is the mighty, matchless, merciful grace of God. That's when worship will be acceptable and come alive. Do you know that if you come to Christ as a real sinner and cast yourself upon him, he will never mention your former sins to you ever. You know that? After Peter wept tears of repentance, does Christ ever remind Peter of his denial? No. God has cast your sins into the depths of the sea. Not as a cork that bobs up and down for you to see and for God to see. God has cast your sins into the depths of the sea like lead. Never to be seen again. And Isaiah says, you want your worship to be acceptable? Come 
in need of grace, filled with repentance and faith, that you and I don't have it all figured out. I promise you, if you walk through those doors every Sunday with a tender heart, wanting less of self and more of Christ, God will come to church with you every Sunday. He'll meet you right here in word and sacrament, just as he promised. He'll bless you through the word and sacrament. It's that easy. You just have to let yourself be crushed by the law to see yourself as God sees you, still in need of him, as always in need of him and his grace. But if you walk through those doors thinking that liturgy will save your life, that liturgy will be a foil for your sin, you're wrong. We're wrong. God sees that. He sees right through it. And so he says to you, um, come. Let's talk. Why don't you come with me and, and reason with me? Come let my law have its work. Come and be broken under your sin and cast yourself upon my son. He's so good to sinners. He's so great. And he says to you, if that is you every Sunday, I'll put a robe on you and put a ring on your finger. And like the father, I'll, I'll welcome you home. I'll embrace you. My son was lost, but now he's found. Beloved, it's God's people that need the grace of God as much as the nations. Never forget that every Lord's Day. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are just so overwhelmed by the greatness and goodness of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Just when we think we're so doomed by the law, here he comes for us. What a mighty Savior, what a beautiful Savior. May this church always have a felt need, a sense that we need your grace. Lord, we, I believe we have it right in what we do, but oh God, our hearts, may they not be far from you. May they be tethered to the gospel day in and day out. In Christ's name.